this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. I'm trying to do my best. Conan O'Brien needs a friend to kick off to this show. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Tyler Mon, joined as always by my co-host, Sam Dykstra. Notice a lot of podcast hosts say, joined as always. Uh, joined as always by Sam Dykstra. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. I, I, you saying you wanted to start this show with an ode to Conan gives me two thoughts. One, is this the, the week we finally get Jack White to do the theme song? <laughs> I would love that. Uh, and two, also, I don't know if you saw the Emmys this week. I did not. But Conan just making the Emmys about him was the best thing that ever happened. Oh, that's fantastic. And now I'm going to have to go watch it. There was like the president of the Television Academy like came on stage to give his big speech like they always do. And uh, Conan just stood up and saluted him <laughs> for a solid three minutes. And, it, and the guy was like, what's happening? Why, why is somebody standing for this speech? And it's just Conan being like, no, no, no. We're going to make this not about him, but like his show is ending. Like there's probably not a chance for him to go to many Emmys going forward. Uh, not that Conan will stop being part of the zeitgeist, but him being involved in that. And then he jumped on stage when Stephen Colbert won an Emmy and just acted like he was part of the writing staff. Uh, and Stephen That's Colbert even said like, I, you know, it's been a while since I've seen some of these guys, some of these guys I've never met before in my life. <laughs> Uh, it was just so perfect. And Conan was like so pumped for the team. Um, I don't know. It was a very, I don't want to stay stoic, but kind of boring Emmys, even if a lot of fun TV shows won some awards. But Conan just injecting himself in that way was perfect. Well, Conan has, uh, yeah, he's ended his nightly show and he's shifting over to uh, to HBO Max where he's going to be doing kind of his own um you know, it's not a variety show. They talked on the, the most recent episode of his podcast. And like initially when the press releases all went out, they called it a variety show. And that's apparently because that's the category that it has to be entered under uh, for the Emmys. But it's more like he's going to do his travel stuff. He's going to do remotes and all that. And all of this to tie in, that's our eventual goal with the show before the show podcast is just to sell out to HBO Max. Someday that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. I would love the show before the show, the variety show. Or the show before the variety show? The, show, the, variety, bro, show the variety show before the show? Well, we have a lot of time, let's say. Yeah, that, that we can figure it out. Sell out to, we'll figure it figure out. out a name. Hey, man, but, Adam yeah. Richman from uh, Man vs. Food tweeted a couple of weeks ago that it was one of his dreams to do a minor league baseball-focused food and travel show. And I was like, man, this has literally been my entire life's dream for like 12 years. Can we please do this? So you never know. The variety, the variety travel and food show before the show. I'm just saying... Uh, a show like that needs producers. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I, you know, there's, if only there were two dudes who have dedicated their lives to minor league baseball and hosting a podcast for the last few. Wait, I know two guys like that. <laughs> I know. You know there are fun. very few things where my resume plugs in extremely well, but that's the exact niche. Thing. Absolutely. Perfectly. Um, so, hey, with all of that, we welcome you into this week's episode as we have wasted uh, as much time as humanly possible to kick things off in this show dedicated to all things minor league baseball as uh, we have wrapped up the 2021 minor league regular season. The minor league playoffs are underway. We are going to discuss those um, and we're going to talk uh, a whole bunch else of what's uh, going on around the world of MILB and MLB as we get closer and closer to the major league postseason. Um, a little bit of background on this week's episode of the show. Uh, I am Currently in Mexico, getting set to broadcast games for the U23 Baseball World Cup, which starts, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 22nd of September. That kicks off tomorrow, Thursday, the 23rd. Um, so I am, uh, I'm sure, thankfully to all of you who have tuned in, my uh, involvement in this episode will be minimal uh because tomorrow i got uh, a double header that i gotta be calling so i can't be in on the interview that sam and ben are going to be doing but they will carry you through those segments uh when we get those all recorded and laid down and all of that and uh so i am on to lead you through our our fearless kickoff segment of this week's episode which we call of course three strikes first strike for this week's episode of the show before the show sam appears to have gotten a, a lovely haircut <laughs> Is that really what we're talking about? It's not actually it's not actually strike one, but I actually meant to lead with that. It looks fantastic. I'm not on video because the hotel here, uh, the internet is not great. So I decided to keep my camera off, but uh I, I like the haircut, Sam. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna make it a weekly feature to talk about my grooming, I'm gonna start going off <laughs> video too. Is that not what you joined the show for? It's just for me to make random comments about like, I like your hair, Sam. Looks good. 
mostly because I'm just happy I'm, guy, I'm being paid for this. Really. I'm a guy who <laughs> hates my hair. Yeah, you're being you're being paid to <laughs> get complimented on this show. Right. It's fantastic. Good for you. Right. Um, also, in the Ernie Banks room today, I can tell by the silhouette on the glass behind you. Yes, yes. I would, I'm actually kind of disappointed. I understand why you're not on video today. Um, hotel Wi-Fi being what it is, but like you're the one in Mexico. You're the one yeah. whose background I legitimately want to see. I will say uh, that but- my view is amazing. There is a thing across the street called Galerias El Triunfo, and it is a three-story store of uh, just junk. <laughs> there's like, <laughs> there's like a um, there's like a human-sized high heel that appears to be like a shelving unit. There's uh, a, like a giant pirate and a sailboat and a giraffe and a, a like a bull uh, and a big horse and a cowboy. Like it just appears, it, it appears to be a store that just sells massive oversized novelty things for homes. So, uh, and the problem is we're doing this event in a bubble. So I can't leave the hotel to go shop over there and be like, Hey, can you send this giant, you know, I don't know, pie cooling on a windowsill to my house. Yeah, if you hadn't posted a picture of this to your Instagram story the other day, I would have thought you were making the whole thing up and just kind of like a COVID bubble fever dream. That is true. That is true. It does sound insane, but I did have to document it. Um, okay, so let's get into actual strike one on this week's episode of the show before the show. We are, uh, we're talking during the start of minor league postseason play here in 2021. Now, you won't hear this episode for another couple of days, so we're not going to talk specifics about these series. What we are going to talk about is the importance of the minor league baseball postseason. Um, This year, the start of 2021, we thought there was a fairly good chance, uh, a a strong to quite strong chance. We would not have a minor league postseason here in 2021. Uh, That all changed in the middle of the summer when playoff play was announced. Uh, at all four levels, low A, high A, and double A, somewhat traditional postseason pictures with the top two finishers in each league moving on for a championship series. Triple A, of course, is going on with the final stretch right now. Triple A teams playing uh, additional games at the end of the season, not a traditional playoff format, but uh, more games for the end of the year. Sam, the importance of the minor league postseason Often hotly debated, of course, uh, but w- your thoughts on just how much this means, especially this year, um, but what it means for development, what it means for these guys to continue playing, and what it means for these guys to continue playing in late September, which this year is more of a function of the, the delayed start to the season, but where we are right now uh, with postseason play going on. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I always come back to when we talk about the the minor league playoffs. And I'm sure you could go back to this show in 2019 and I was probably saying the same thing, but if you're playing like 120, 140 games over a summer, you want to feel like it was for something. Now player development is something seeing where you were at the beginning of the year, seeing how you've developed as a player, um, how you've adjusted to certain levels and all that, that is worth something too. But you also want to think that every game you're playing, every time you're trying to win, it's going towards a goal at the end of the season. And you know, being in sports, that that goal is the playoffs. Uh, So when we were talking at the beginning of the season, thinking, oh, there might not be a playoffs, uh, there might not be a postseason because of the pandemic, it was understandable. It was a little disappointing, but I I understood it. And imagine being a player in that scenario, thinking like, okay, normally we're trying to get to the the playoffs and we might have a great year and then it's just going to end. And what does that mean? Now we don't get that. We, we actually get two teams playing for something in every double A, high A, and low A league. Um, their production during the summer was not for not. Uh, they, you know, they, they are trying to accomplish their goals. They're trying to get that little something at the end of, of the rainbow here. Um, and that, that means something. I mean, at the top level, we have a World Series. You want your lower levels to kind of mimic that as, as close as you can get. We'll talk about this here in strike two in a little bit, but winning begets winning. Like I know a couple of years ago and I was talking to Jonathan Mayo on our sister podcast, the pipeline podcast uh, about this this week. It used to be that every player development organization was trying to tell you, uh, you know, we care about development first. That's what we want. And they'll still probably say that, but they also want winning. They want guys who, by the time they make it to the majors, get upset if they don't win. If you are just a good prospect who is, been on a 500 team or a below 500 team at every level of the minors, you're going to kind of get used to, to losing. And you don't want that. The, the whole reason you're developing these guys is to make them winners at the top level. Um, 
And, you know, if you can start that process early, if you can start that at low A, or if you can get a team in AAA that's consistently winning, uh, that's going to have effects, you know, in a few years time, maybe even next year when these guys get called up and you think, oh, they're used to struggling. Well, they, they shouldn't be if they're winners now. So this stuff does matter. It matters to the players. If it matters to the players, it's going to matter to us. It's increasingly mattering to the organizations as well. Uh, I'm glad it's back. You know, it, it, I would love to dive into some of these series and into a little bit more detail, but because of the nature of the show and the way we're coming out on Friday, uh, we don't really get to do that. A lot of these series might be over by then because they're only best of fives and we don't have multiple rounds, uh, which is a shame in its own right, but hopefully we can get that back uh, in 2022 and beyond. Uh, but to all the teams that are competing this week, A, congrats for getting there. Uh, it is not easy to be in the top two teams in your entire league. Um, it feels like a real pennant run. It feels like the World Series of old in that way. And B, congrats to, to the, the champions. I mean, that, the teams that will be, will be pulling out series wins this week, that's something they can carry into the offseason. And that's some optimism they can carry going forward into 2022. And, you know, after so much of what we talked about in the last year of just looking for any good news, um, taking that is going to be huge into an offseason in which we know a little bit more that we're actually going to be building towards a regular, regular season next summer. Strike two this week. Uh, the minor league playoffs come with a limited field of teams, as noted, as we've discussed, just a couple of teams in double A, triple A, or double A, high A, and low A, uh, making the postseason out of each league. And yet, still, a handful of organizations have multiple affiliates in the playoffs. Tampa Bay Rays have three of their affiliates in the postseason San Francisco Giants, Colorado Rockies, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Minnesota Twins, and the Kansas City Royals each have two. Sam, what does it mean when an organization, especially nowadays in this limited field, is able to produce multiple affiliates with postseason birds? Yeah, actually, Tyler, I'm going to flip this right back to you just because the Rockies are on here and you're, you're close to the Rockies. You follow them well. The Rockies, I think, have surprised a little bit at the major league level and how closer they've been to 500 than a lot of people were expecting. Yeah. But so much of what we thought about Colorado coming into the year was not necessarily a rebuild, but a little bit more focus on the minor league levels to have two of their affiliates and them being at the lowest rungs of the full season ladder in low a Fresno and high a Spokane. What does that mean for the Rockies organization? Do you think, you know, it's interesting because um, yeah, we can certainly discuss the, the merits of uh, whether it should be a rebuild to the major league level and just currently is not. And if uh, a successful season to the major league level, this year semi-successful is ultimately detrimental um, to where uh, a major league franchise is trying to go. But for the Rockies right now, focusing on this minor league side, um, it certainly shows growth in the areas in which that organization desperately needs it. Now, one thing that is sort of missing from this conversation is two full season affiliates are into the postseason, and that is low A Fresno and high A Spokane. The Rockies also won the Arizona Complex League Championship, and I believe their ACL team won something like 43 and 16 this year. Um, so they've got a lot of talent coming up at these lower levels. Uh, and what is so interesting about it is this is what has traditionally paid off for the Rockies and has paid off for organizations much like the Rockies. When you see teams uh, finally figure out a way to get wins uh, and to get winning teams at the major league level, a lot of times you will look back and see, oh, these guys played on winning teams together in the minor league levels as well. Um, I remember that, you know, with the Kansas City Royals when they had Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and Salvador Perez, all those guys who came up and eventually ended up winning a World Series at the major league level. Those guys climbed the ladder, played in the postseason and won championships at the minor league level as well. Um, for a franchise like the Rockies, uh, you look at a team, you know, for example, uh, the, the low A West club in Fresno, we've talked about some of the successes of their notable prospects of guys like Zach Veen, especially, uh, their first round pick from 2020, uh, drew Romo, who they selected right after Zach Veen in 2020 Romo, the catcher, switch hitting catching prospect. The Rockies have never been good at developing catchers. Uh, he had three fourteen and 79 games this year with a 784 OPS. Zach Veen finished with a 900 OPS this season. Um, they've got some interesting, uh, pitching prospects at that level and guys who start to climb uh, and make their way into, you know, spots like Spokane, where you, you see a high A West team uh, that has made the postseason. And Spokane did not start this year very well either, um, but they've got talent on that squad uh, that has kind of gotten it figured out as the year has gone along. I think when you take your lumps and you learn to win at the minor league level, 
it does things for you where uh, when you make it to the big league side, you realize, okay, I've been here before, not in the same context, uh, but you've been there in a sense where you've got guys around you who you probably learned how to overcome some, I hate this as a sports buzzword, but you've overcome some adversity together uh, and you've got that experience in being able to build and grow a winning culture. Um, and that's what I think a lot of these organizations are in similar spots with. Uh, when you look at the Minnesota Twins, you look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Kansas City Royals, um, you know, the Royals, I think, have a lot of bright spots that are at or are coming to the major league level, uh, maybe a little bit sooner than some of these other organizations. But, uh, you know, the Twins, that's a system that's being rebuilt. The Pirates have a ton of talent in the minor league ranks, but it's been a lean few years at the major league level. San Francisco Giants, nobody seems to be able to explain to the major league level this year. So the fact that they've got more talent coming up has got to be really excited to Giants fans. And then, man, the Tampa Bay Rays, that organization is just they are doing absolutely everything right uh, at the major league level in player development, the culture that they built. Um, there are a lot of fans speaking from experience of, uh, of organizations elsewhere in major league baseball, who I think would probably kill to have the Tampa Bay Rays as the team they get to cheer for. And three affiliates in the minor league postseason is tremendously impressive. And the amount of talent that that system turns out year after year is exceedingly impressive as well. Um, but this is fun. And it is a, obviously a positive sign for these, for fans of these organizations and for the organizations themselves. Yeah. And just to go back to your point about the Rays, because <laughs> We could talk for hours about this, honestly, about why they are so good at prospect development and why they are at this place right now. And a lot of it has to do with they are just deep. Even after losing, you know, Wander Franco as the top overall prospect in baseball, they still have an incredibly deep system. Um, and that's how you get wins. But you mentioned that three of their full season affiliates, all three of their full season affiliates that are eligible for the postseason have made the postseason among them is Bowling Green, which has the best winning percentage in all of minor league base, well, um, among full season teams. Uh, Bowling Green had a winning percentage of 695 because they had a record of 82 and 36. The second team on that list, again, of all full season ball, was Charleston, which is the low A affiliate. They had a winning percentage of 683. And we're talking about three full season affiliates here. We're not even mentioning Durham and Durham had the best record in triple a East. They went 77 and 43 scratch that. They had the best record in all of triple a baseball. If we were talking about a triple a national championship, if we had the governor's cup or, or, you know, the previous triple uh, a East international league playoff formats, Durham would be far and away a favorite. Um, and we just saw this week, we don't have room to talk about it in the opening segment, but Shane Boz got called up by the Rays. Uh, because he had done so well as part of that Durham squad, so much of the what the Rays do is just next man up. Hey, somebody's injured. We need a hole. We, we're kind of floundering a little bit with starting pitching. Oh, guess what? We're going to bring up a top 20 pitching prospect in all of baseball in Shane Boz, and he's going to pitch really well, outpitch Robbie Ray, strike out Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and George Springer in his first inning. They just really know where to put these guys to breed success, to find that – foundation of success and build on it and get better at the next level. Uh, it's, it's not as easy as you think, you know, so many times we on the sidelines, um, you know, especially fans at home are sitting there saying, why isn't he up yet? Why don't you call him up? He seems to be doing well. There is a, there is not a science to this. I, I won't say there's an exact moment in which like the flip gets switched. It's humans making these decisions. And the Rays just seem to be very good about deciding where guys need to be, where they need to find success and where they need to find lasting success, because it's not just doing well at Charleston uh, and, you know, them floundering at high A. The guys who went from Charleston to Bowling Green are a big reason why Bowling Green led all of full season ball in winning percentage this summer. So they seem to have figured something out there. Um, I think a lot of it just starts with knowing your players, really investing and figuring out uh, who those players are, what makes them tick, what their skill sets are and what the best opportunities for them to, to find success at the minor league level are. Uh, if every team could do this, you know, then the Rays wouldn't have three postseason teams. It would be much more spread out, but they seem to have struck something there, which is not a huge surprise given what we've seen out of them out of the last five, ten years uh, in terms of prospect development and then turning that into major league success as well. 
And strike three this week, the AAA postseason uh, getting started with the final stretch, a two-week competition, uh, which consists of a pair of home and road five-game series uh, that will bring the AAA season all the way up through October 3rd. Uh, The playoffs, a little bit more traditional, as we said, at the lower levels. At the upper levels, it's kind of business as usual in going into these five-game series that will wrap things up. Uh, at the highest level in AAA East and West. And in that vein, major league clubs have decided to see what some of their top prospects have uh, at AAA for this final stretch. So among them, some of the top prospects who headed up to the top levels of the minor league systems in their various organizations, Brandon Davis, the outfield prospect uh, in the Chicago Cubs system, now with AAA Iowa. Tristan Cassis has gone up from AA Portland to AAA Worcester in the Boston Red Sox organization. Max Meyer from Jacksonville uh, getting a, a look for the uh, Miami Marlins system. The uh, swath of prospects that have gone up, Sam, definitely intriguing to say the least. How much are we going to see a two-week test in AAA obviously isn't going to show you everything we can expect from these guys as they continue their careers and maybe stick full-time at AAA coming up next year. But what do we expect to see from some of these prospects and who are you most excited about seeing a AAA to close this season? Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing about this final stretch. It feels like a postseason. Um, it is in some aspects because it's it counts for something like the best team with – or the team with the best winning percentage over these next two weeks in AAA wins the final stretch. So that matters for something. Uh, But the stats actually count towards the regular season. Um, So we've talked a lot about the home run race this summer between MJ Melendez and Griffin Conine. Uh, Melendez is up right now and he's going to stay up because his homers that he hits the rest of the way for Omaha are going to count towards his regular season total. So that's just something to keep in mind, but it is kind of interesting how, you know, AAA right now, unless your teams are in the postseason, and again, there are at each level, there are there are 24 teams that did not make the postseason. Uh, AAA is the only minor league game in town, really, uh, you know, with 30 affiliates all going. So if you want your guys to get a few extra innings, a few extra at-bats uh, before the Arizona Fall League, some of these guys will be going there. Not all of them, obviously, but some might. Uh, this is the way to do it, is to promote them to AAA, get them a, a, a little bit of a look. I honestly wish some organizations would treat the major league level in the same way. Uh, you want guys getting comfortable. You got, want guys knowing the environment of what they're going to see in 2022. So everybody we're talking about here, Brennan Davis, Tristan Cassis, uh, Max Meyer, Gabriel Moreno, O'Neill Cruz, Oswald Peraza, and the Yankee system, all these guys are going to start out at AAA next year. So just getting them these 10 games is just getting them comfortable, getting them opportunities uh, to see what AAA is about. It's not going to change our evaluations of them. You should never change your evaluations over a 10-game sample unless something absolutely crazy happens uh, or there are reasons behind something crazy happening. Uh, But it's still good to see these guys get these opportunities. Brendan Davis, we've seen what he can do. Uh, at AAA already, he homered in his first two at bats for Iowa. Uh, how is that power going to carry? Because we've seen it basically everywhere in, in 2021, including the Futures game in Denver, where he hit two home runs and was the game MVP. Uh, Tristan Cassis, I'm really excited to see him take aim at the Worcester Wall, uh, which is in right. We talked before when we talked to Ben about this. You know, the Worcester Wall is a little bit similar to what they have in Hartford. Uh, Tristan Cassis, during his time with AA Portland, played in Hartford. And I think he just recently did that a couple of weeks ago, took aim at a short porch there. Uh, he'll get five games with Worcester at home before going on the road. We'll be fascinated to see if he can take aim at that, maybe hit some balls over the Worcester wall, the big blue uh, edifice in right field there. That'll be really fascinating. Um, and outside of that, I mean, I just want to see what these guys are going to do. Uh, hopefully in the off season, we can talk about, afterwards like the decisions to to send them there but getting these guys more bats is just the big deal here um you know we're not done with them in 2021 that's great am i gonna read too much into hey he was getting 96 blown past him at the end of a long year not really Um, but if they can do anything positive it's just another thing to consider for sure so uh glad these guys are getting a little extra time and uh it's another reason to be grateful for the triple a final stretch And that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Sam and Ben, 
are taking you through the next two segments. Uh, and then we've got a special appearance. And by special, I mean weekly from Josh Jackson coming up next. Well, as Tyler just promised in the last segment, uh, this segment is going to be just me, Sam Dykstra, with Benjamin Hill, who is sitting to my left. Uh, Ben, this is the time where we get to talk behind Tyler's back while he is in Mexico. Uh, So I will start by saying that Tyler is a lovely co-host and we miss him very much whenever he can join us. And that's all I'm going to leave it at. But is there anything you want to talk about behind Tyler's back? I feel like when you're talking behind Tyler's back, that the implication of that is something negative. I mean, when you say, oh, they were talking so wonderfully about me behind my back. I'm not sure if that's like a proper use of the idiom behind my back. So I will say that uh, Tyler has a criminal record. (laughs) And um, a lot of people who have put up lots of money to uh, track him down and get him. And hey, he's in Mexico. Coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) We should also note that Tyler is the one who edits this podcast. So if any of this makes it to air. It means a he has a good sense of humor, and b he does he he wants to flaunt the law and yeah. just be like, "Come and get me." Yeah, I've always looked at him as a law flaunter. Yes, of course. Um, but anyway, we we talked a lot in the last segment, Tyler and I did uh, about the minor league postseason. It is the big story of the week here. So Ben, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on this because what we talked about was specifically from the organization side, from the team side, from the player development side of what it means to be in in the postseason. And the future of these guys from, you know, a baseball perspective. Um, But what you're so great at is bringing at it from the minor league team side. And we talked about how there are changes this year. It's just the top two teams in each league that get in. There's no first half winner. There's no second half winner. It's just full season, which meant it really came down to crunch time for some of these teams clinching on the final days of the season. And then all of a sudden having to plan a playoff series. So just kind of take us through from what you've seen so far. Um, what that was like and how the changes kind of affected minor league teams specifically. Yeah, well, broadly speaking, you know, it, it is certainly a conversation we've had in the past, but, you know, worth reiterating that uh, the playoffs uh, from a minor league baseball operating perspective are usually um, difficult. Um, if you're in the front office, you, you've seen that team on the field a lot and you're, you're often rooting for them uh, just as a matter of people you've been around for so often. But in terms of making the playoffs being a, you know, financial, huge financial win, that is often not so much the case. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, I mean, one of it is just the operating principle of the industry writ large, which is more providing, you know, quote unquote, family friendly entertainment more than just sit down and watch sports type of a hardcore rooting environment. So a lot of the fan base, as enthusiastically as they might go to games during the summer, once the weather gets cold, once uh, school starts again, once there's football season to compete with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you might not have a huge base of people who are really following the team. Uh, then, you know, let alone the fact that, that there's so much roster churn in minor league baseball that, you know, the team that's playing in the playoffs might be very different than the team you rooted for earlier in the year. Um, so it's a strange beast, uh, playoffs in minor league baseball. Um, you know, we have a more streamlined process this year. So on one hand, it makes it a little easier to uh, to market and explain to fans just, hey, we're in the playoffs and it's uh, us versus another team, best of five, and the team that wins, that's it. You know, that's, um, that's uh, easier to explain. But, um, yeah, with no first-half championships, um, you know, a lot of the teams that got in the playoffs didn't know until very late in the season that they would actually make the playoffs, as, as happens in sports. But from a front office perspective, you can't sell – Uh, You know, you can hint, you can start putting together things behind the scenes, you can explain to your fans the scenarios that have to happen in order to sell tickets, but you don't get much lead time to sell uh, and promote the playoffs happening if you just got into the playoff, you know, on the last day of the regular season or two or three days before. So not much lead time to turn it around, hype it out and promote it. You know, one thing I think that we've seen in the past, especially if you win a first half championship is then you can start to treat the playoffs as more of a you know, promotional night, maybe get another fireworks show on the calendar, maybe, uh, um, you know, have a giveaway item specifically for a playoff game um, and, uh, you know, really connect with the fans and especially the season ticket holder base and the fans who show up all the time, like, you know, you got to be there. We're in the playoffs. But this time I think is a little bit more uh, catch as catch can in that regard, just um, with just one playoff series per league. And a lot of these teams not knowing they got in until uh, very close to 
the end of the season. Yeah. And, and one thing I think we're noted, noticing too is uh, the playoffs are deeper into the season than ever. We talked about the AAA final stretch extends minor league baseball into October for the first time in I think decades at this point. Um, but also we're kind of bumping into what that means. It, going deeper into fall means running up against a little colder weather. And I, I'm thinking specifically about that high A East series between Greensboro and Bowling Green. I think they had their first two games postponed uh, because of rain, which obviously can happen at any point. But uh, just interesting to me that we're playing baseball deeper into the year, which is great, but it means a little bit colder weather around minor league baseball. Um, ben, just real quick, I know you're extending your ballpark guide series for MLB.com. What are the next ones up for that? Yeah, the uh, most recent to appear, at least as we're talking right now, is uh, Chattanooga AT&T Field. Got that one up last week. Um, you can go to uh, MLB.com slash Ben's Biz to see all my work, including the ballpark guides. And these ballpark guides, as we mentioned, will eventually be a ballpark guide for every minor league stadium put in one place along with ticketing links and just a one-stop shop for planning a minor league road trip. So long-term, this is the project I'm very excited about, but I uh, wrote up Chattanooga, uh, which I visited it was actually the first ballpark I visited in my, uh, you know, kind of abbreviated 2021 travel schedule and coming up very soon is Somerset's TD bank ballpark, home of the Somerset Patriots, which was my last ballpark visit of the season, but put in the other ballpark guide for that as well. That should for all intents and purposes, as far as I know, be uh, live and on MLB.com, MLB.com, uh, all the finest dot coms. Um, by the time this podcast is also live, the Somerset Patriots ballpark guide is uh, those continue to come together. And as I've mentioned many times, but, you know, I'm self-conscious because I think people expect things from me because I've defined myself through my work for so many years. But now I'm only working two days a week on this intermittent parental leave for the remainder of the year. And I'm like, in my mind, there's these legions of people. This is actually kind of arrogant who are like, what's Ben doing? He's not doing much. He must not be good at his job anymore. I think I will abandon him and forget that he ever existed. And I feel myself shrinking away to nothing, but don't worry. I'm just being a dad. It's actually pretty fun. I know. I was going to say, well, yes, you are doing a very important thing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when you were not here. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, but also we have, that's a great thing about working online in, in some ways, some of our stuff has disappeared over the years, but like this podcast feed still exists. You can go back to it. And you, if you wonder what you've done over the last couple of weeks, you've been on this show every single week uh, this summer, which has been tremendous. We're grateful to always have you on here. Um, You're so kind, Sam. Thank well, you. But uh, we're all right. Well, let's transition now to our to our interview. I have no good way of saying. Sam got flustered that. by a comment. I know. Yeah, I don't know what to say about any of this. Um, I, I was talking behind your back. <laughs> that's going to become our no, new thing: is talking behind each other back. It's just giving each other compliments. Yeah, that's how we're going to get through 2021 the rest of the way. Um, but anyway, segueing into our interview here. Then we talked a little bit about the playoffs. One of the playoff teams this year in Double A Central are the Wichita Wind Surge. Uh, tell us a little bit about them and what we can expect here in this interview segment. Yeah, we're going to learn, learn a lot about Wichita. And uh, I know a lot of people out there who maybe don't know a lot about Wichita and have thought to themselves, I'd like to learn more about Wichita. And now you're going to learn a lot more about Wichita. The Wichita Wind Surge uh, played their debut season in 2021, one of six new ballparks. And uh, we talked to Bob Mullet the senior director of fan experience about uh, the whole process of moving the team from new Orleans, where they were the baby cakes uh, to Wichita to not having a season in 2020 to finally debuting in 2021 and all that entailed uh, the ballpark, the fans uh, marketing, the team, the team name, uh, local architecture. We covered it all. It was a good conversation about Wichita and uh, that's coming up next. I'm Ben Hill here on the show before the show podcast. I'm joined by Sam Dykstra sitting to my right. And, uh, you know, just like most seasons, we've talked a lot about new ballparks, teams playing their first season. And we've talked about Fredericksburg and Worcester and Rocket City and Kannapolis. And uh, we've talked about Beloit, and I'm sure we'll be covering them soon enough with uh, their impending name change. But, um, you know, one team that we have not uh, gotten around to covering this year is the Wichita Wind Surge, who played their first season in 2021, still are playing their first season. They're in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, we just haven't talked much about it. So Sam and I are here to rectify that right now with our guest, the Wichita Wind Surge Senior Manager of Fan Experience, Bob Mullet, And he's here to talk about uh, the debut season of the Wichita Wind Surge. So first of all, Bob, thanks for being with us today. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so a lot has happened. The Wichita Wind Surge were formerly the New Orleans Baby Cakes, moved to Wichita for the 2020 season that wasn't, in which they were going to be the AAA affiliate of the Marlins. Then with the lost season due to COVID and the realignment of the minors, now they've had their debut season as AA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. I don't know where to begin. So how about we talk about, Bob, you were with the team and this franchise in New Orleans. Uh, What has it been like for you to uh, transition to, maybe I'm stereotyping, but I think New Orleans and Wichita are probably very different markets and, uh, uh, you know, require different strategies. So what was it like just, you know, moving the franchise and making that adjustment? Yeah, well, um, you know, just from, you know, last two years, a lot has happened, right? Um, You know, we we announced that we're going to leave New Orleans in, I think, September of 18 to go to Wichita. I remember uh, Lou Schweckheimer coming to me. He was the majority owner, managing partner at the time, saying, hey, we're moving the squad to Wichita. I want you to be there. And I was like, what's in Wichita? Um, You know, you hear about it in songs or (laughs) popular movies and shows like that. But uh, I was actually able to get out in October uh, with the branding team because obviously with us moving, we were getting ready to start a new brand we had to get that going so learning a lot about the city so I got to get out a few times before um, the season you know 2019 season started and thought that I was actually going to finish out with the baby cakes in 19 Um, and then I got the call to say hey we need you in Wichita in March of 19 we need to start this brand we need to get out into the community we need to do all that so um, obviously like you said the markets are very different um but they're very unique as well. I mean, I would always say that New Orleans was a, a great uh, place to go have fun and, and, and do great things, but it was also a football town. Uh, Wichita is very much a baseball town, especially with their WSU backing. Uh, there's some historic college runs of WSU uh, baseball teams. And then you have the National Baseball Congress uh, that they would hold for 85 years. So um, those things uh, kind of, you start learning as you go with it, right? I mean, the footprint, is a lot different, which I was a little bit smaller, but it's also as big as Fresno, California, which at the time had a AAA team as well. Um, and the transition was just, it was just crazy all around. You get there and uh, there's one trailer and there's a construction site and you're literally on site watching this thing be built while you're still trying to figure out how to kind of shape the narrative of what the brand is going to be. Um, and as you do that, on an everyday basis, you're getting more and more staff. You know, I think I was actually the second one here on the ground. And now I'm actually the uh, most senior person here on the ground. So things have changed a lot since then. Yeah. And Wichita is no stranger to minor league baseball. The most recent affiliated team they had uh, was the Wranglers in the Texas league up through 2007, but still it had been, yeah, 14 years between that and uh, the wind surge debuting. And uh, obviously a lot has changed in minor league baseball since then. Uh, the old Wichita Stadium, uh, Lawrence Dumont, uh, was certainly different than the one you have now, even though it's on the same site. Um, building a brand, creating a brand and building it is a huge deal. And, uh, you know, what were the factors that led to uh, that, that led to choosing the wind surge name and building an identity around that? Yeah, well, you know, um... Doing the Baby Cakes rebranding, there's definitely some interesting names out there. I think they always knew it was going to be Baby Cakes to kind of shock the the city and and kind of the market. And and it played really well into the Mardi Gras script. But, uh, you know, there was already a backstory there, right? We're here. There's some backstory. Like you said, there's there's history with the Wranglers. Uh, The Wingnuts were the independent league team that was here. And then you got a bunch of other teams, the Jobbers, the Arrows. Um, all that here prior to that. So, you know, the biggest thing in the whole branding process was we wanted to try to be as inclusive as we could with the city. So, you know, Wichita is in a very interesting state right now where it kind of redefines itself about every 50 years. You start the first, you know, 150 years ago, you're talking Chisholm Trail. Then 50 years after that, you're talking aviation capital of the world. And, and now, um, you know, we're trying to attract big tech here. Um, you know, we're trying to take those from the Silicon Valleys or the Texas and, and things like that. Um, we have a very good workforce. And uh, I think the biggest thing that always in our kind of research and, and talking to people in the community was they're proud of their past, 
but at the same time, they didn't want to be defined by their past. Air Capital is all over the city. Chisholm Trail is all over the city. Um, but we kind of, you know, with this development of the ballpark in the downtown area, repositioning it and the building around it, um, they wanted to show, hey, we are moving forward. Um, and so when we were looking to do a brand, obviously there's no such thing as a wind surge. There's a storm surge, but we did not bring that from New Orleans. Um, you take the concept of the wind that's been so historic in shaping Wichita's past, but then you take kind of this surge of innovation and growth forward and you bring that concept together. And, you know, obviously it's very hard to, you know, working with Todd Radom who designed the logos, it's very hard to, um, to kind of personalize or, you know, visualize what that type of term would be. So that's where the Pegasus came into kind of that term where, you know, it's a mythological being that harnesses the wind and can surge through any kind of, uh, you know, process or any type of endeavor moving forward. And so that's kind of how we came with the visuals. And then when you're looking at it, right, I mean, uh, you look at a bunch of other teams, especially Baby Cakes brand, a lot of Mardi Gras themed colors, you know, here is very traditional. Um, you know, you have your your red, your scarlet and you have your uh, navy blue, midnight navy, which is enrooted in all of professional baseball. And then you take your light blue, uh, which is your prairie skies. And then you take the gold, which is representative of the wheat, but also representative of the sunset. So you can really embody all those concepts together to come up with, you know, what the Wichita brand was. And, and we thought, you know, now, you know, when we did it, we really thought, hey, I think this encompasses the entire community. And also too, remember that, you know, before uh, we came back in with affiliated baseball, there's no affiliated baseball in the state of Kansas. And we're the only professional baseball outlet that's affiliated in the state of Kansas. So you currently, if you wanted to go see prior to us being here, if you want to go see a traditional professional sporting event, you had to leave to Oklahoma City or you had to leave to Kansas City. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were that professional brand. And I think that's kind of how we decided to go with this. Yeah. And, and you've talked so far about getting things off the ground, getting or getting things on the ground and then off the ground with uh, the team name. But at what point this season did it really feel like the Wichita wind surge? Not we're back, but we're really open. And was it that first game in May? Was it, um, you know, in April and anticipation of fans being back, like at what point did you feel like, all right, this thing is really taking off now? Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, I think really for us, it was about mid season. I mean, as everyone's had to deal with in all their States, we, you know, we all got thrown into a season and had two months to prepare for it. Right. So, you know, for us being new off the ground, we had five people on staff, um, full-time people with two months to go. And as you guys know, and everyone else knows who works in the industry, you know, two months ago, operations takes over. You got to get all this stuff done. And, you know, for us, we had no structure um, because it was new. We didn't have a part-time staff pool that we can pull from and do all those things. So I feel like we really got rolling in uh, early July. Um, and that's when we were doing about 6,000, you know, every Friday, Saturday night. That's when, you know, people are just wearing the merchandise. It's, it's unreal to me. Like I saw NOLA merchandise around and once in a while I would see Modesto Nuts merchandise because I previously was with them before then. But the amount of uh, surge merch that is all over the market now um, is unreal. I mean, I'm, I just come from Riverside, which is a few uh, miles north of the ballpark. And, you know, I just saw someone on a random, you know, jog or whatever with their wind surge gear on. And um, so I feel like we really got we really hit the ground running um, about July that's when the systems were starting to get in place. That's when our concessions, I mean, and, you know, the biggest thing with opening a new ballpark for us, unfortunately, we didn't have any soft openings. Our first opening was a WSU game that had 7,500 people at it. Um, and so that was a lot of people's very first time working. We did not know how the building was going to breathe. We didn't know where the exit and enter, enter flows were going to be. So I feel like we really got our bearings in about beginning of July. And speaking of, you know, Riverfront Stadium there, you guys didn't have a soft opening, like you say, but what is that stadium like? Because it is a brand new minor league facility. You guys are just getting going there. When that place is really humming and really singing, what is that place like right now? Oh, man, it's uh, it's actually it, 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 the acoustics in this building are unreal. 
um, whether we would have, you know, 2000 or we have 5,000, you know, these people are engaged. Uh, the last homestand, uh, one of the cool things that we were able to do and the builders did was, you know, we can plug a, a DJ turntable on the concourse into our sound system. And so, you know, we got the DJ rolling, we got people chanting, uh, especially when we uh, clinched our number one playoff spot. I mean, that crowd was just going, they were into it. And, you know, people are staying until the end of the game, you know, especially, you know, at the end, once we clinched, I was surprised, right? You'd think, oh, well, you clinched. People were like, all right, we'll come to the playoffs. But we had a few more games left and, and people are just same thing. I mean, the baseball knowledge in this town is awesome. Um, and the players feed off it. They vibe off it. That's why, you know, tomorrow, you know, it's going to be our very first playoff game. They were just in Northwest Arkansas for the first two games. And um, we're going to have probably about five, 5,000 people at the ballpark. So it's going to be a very playoff-esque um, atmosphere, which is great. And we know the playoffs is always different in minor league baseball. But for us, I really feel tomorrow is going to be like almost like a major league type stage. And that's why we want to make sure the experience is that. And continuing with this discussion about the ballpark itself, uh, Riverfront Stadium, um, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, it's uh, not a ballpark I've been able to visit yet. Uh, not one that we've given much coverage to yet, although that will change eventually in due time. Um, so the ballpark itself, architecturally, um, you know, creative design elements, um, you know, unique, uh, maybe regionally specific food. What are things about visiting the ballpark that stand out in your mind? Well, I think number one is if you come to the ballpark, there's not a bad seat in the house, whether you're in the bowl, whether you're uh, in the berm or you're up in the suite level um, or you're in any of the hospitality areas, uh, you can really view the game well. Um, it's a very sociable area. We have some of the widest concourses in um, all of uh, stadium design builds, so people can really get in and out of there. Um, like I was saying, the acoustics is great. One cool thing that we did um, was we actually have local art all over the ballpark. So the Delano district, which is an area um, just in, in the area that the ballpark is in was very, was known for art and creativity. And so during the design build process, that was part of the agreement that we had with the city. So you'll see um, a bunch of different art and you can go to our site actually, and you can see all the different um, uh, artwork pieces that we have um, that show a bunch of different things. And I'm not, I'm not an art person per se. I don't know exactly what all these things are, but you know, you, you see the concourse and you'll see the Arkansas river. Yes. It's the Arkansas river. They call it here. Um, they call it Arkansas river everywhere else. Um, but here it's Arkansas, but you'll see that on the, uh, on the concession stands. Um, we have big, uh, we have a couple turbines that uh, are LED that light up as you come in the maple entrance. If you go into any of the bathrooms, there's murals in every bathroom. Um, so that's something that's unique. I know other ballparks acquire that over time, but we put that right into the process. Um, when you come to a ballpark and you sit in the bowl, our average seat width is about uh, 21 to 22 inches wide. The average green seat is 19. So we uh, sacrificed about 350 seats, fixed seats in the bowl to make sure people would be comfortable. And then you have 36 inch or three foot treads in front of you. So your knees aren't going into the back of someone or they're not going into the back of the seat. So getting in and out accessibility is great. Um, another thing to ADA, we, we're probably one of the most ADA compliant facilities. You can get in and out anywhere, um, including the clubhouses. We actually have three clubhouses. We have our home clubhouse, we have the road clubhouse, and we have an auxiliary. And for COVID reasons, the auxiliary has turned into the positional players clubhouse for them, right? Um, but what's going to happen is, as you guys have seen the trends, there's more female coaches, trainers that are starting to participate on these teams. We have adequate exclusive areas for them to be able to do what they need to do. Um, and so I think the biggest thing about this ballpark was it wasn't designed for 2020. It was designed more for 2030. I mean, as we were going through the design process, as we all know, uh, the, the PBA was still going through that. We didn't know what that was going to look like, but I'm happy to say that a lot of the requirements that major league baseball ask of these facilities, we have fulfilled probably 99.9% .9 of them um, in that process. Yeah, no, that's great to hear about the auxiliary clubhouse that you're talking about and the ADA compliance specifically. That's that's really neat stuff. And and not to get too ahead of ourselves, but 
because I know you guys are still in the playoffs, obviously, but the offseason is right around the corner. Yeah. This offseason, you guys will now have had one regular season under your belts. Yeah. As you kind of look back on this season and, and take what you learned, what are you guys going to be maybe talking about this offseason to kind of put into practice to build on this for 2022? Well, I think for us, you know, as well as a lot of other teams, you know, our, uh, our promotions, uh, we're going to be able to add to that, right? We had a lot of stuff that we had to table due to COVID. Um, I would say our run of show is pretty good as well. Um, but at the end of the day, like, like you said, we can make that better. We can make more tweet, uh, you know, tweaks to that process. You know, we did a few promotional things this year, but we really didn't get into it. Right. I mean, we didn't have our classic star Wars night or superheroes night. We got, we got actually a, a real cool thing that we're going to throw out next year. Uh, that was a project I worked on during the regular, uh, branding process, but yeah, I think the biggest thing for us is going to be, all right, let's find out what part of this structure worked well and let's build upon that. Um, and let's say, okay, maybe we jumped out the gate at the cash list in certain areas, maybe too much. Maybe we can make some adjustments there. Um, and then maybe there's some things that like, because of COVID actually made it better for us. Right. So because of that, we can keep those policies in place. So, um, you know, obviously there's so much more that we can do. We didn't even get to really utilize any of the on field stuff. I mean, I just take an example, uh, today when I was thinking about it, you know, our first pitch pitches, you know, you typically get a player to do that, but because of COVID we had uh, one of our kids dress up in uniform to at least give that appearance. So next year we'll be able to uh, bribe these players, whether it's a, you know, some sort of uh, you know, some sort of gift card or whatever to do that. But I think game presentation was great, but we got to improve upon it. Um, the biggest thing for us is, you know, WSU basketball is huge here. And uh, they do a pretty good job over there. But I've always emphasized that, you know, we have to differentiate ourselves from everything else. Like you talked about the Wichita market, right? Um, the, one of the biggest things about a market like this, and it was very similar when I was at Fresno State, is when something new comes along, everybody jumps on the newness. And then as that starts to go away, they go to the next new thing. Well, we just have to continue to reinvent ourselves and figure out, you know, we haven't even hit all the demographics and all the pockets that we can get to come out here. And, you know, it's just occurring to me as we've talked that, you know, you have the playoffs going on right now and hosting your first game uh, on Friday. Uh, we were here talking on Thursday. And that team is the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, who yeah. were the Wichita Wranglers up through 2007. So, um, you know, I'm probably in the small minority of you know, people who would really notice and care about these things. But this is Wichita past versus Wichita present, the team that left versus the team that came back. Um, is there any way you can make that more dramatic than I just did? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're, we're, we're toying with uh, our intro uh, score being the back to the future intro score. So um, something along the lines of that, um, you know, we jokingly, you know, talk about it and, and we understand, you know, w why people do what, you know, why organizations do what it is. I think the, the great thing is, yeah, we are capitalizing. This is a Royals market, 100%, right? But the great thing about it is that it's also a wind surge market. And, uh, you know, I think that we can capitalize off that, make it a little dramatic as we need to. That's why, you know, they, you know, they did a great job at, at short notice having games. They were the fourth team to actually jump up to the second place team on the last day. Right. So they didn't have a lot of time to sell, but we are going to, that's why I said, we are going to make this a world series esque atmosphere and hopefully we blow, you know, blow it away and blow it out of the park. So. Yeah, and Bob, we're talking over uh, Zoom, uh, but this will obviously appear in an audio format. And, uh, you know, to close with this, maybe not the most relevant uh, question, but over your right shoulder, we see a building. Yes. And um, what building is that? Because I'm going to speak for probably Sam as well. We don't know too much about the uh, Wichita skyline. And uh, yeah. I think it'd be interesting to learn yeah. about a building in Wichita. <laughs> yeah. So just behind me, prior to that building is the Arkansas River. That's what splits the east side and the west side. And that's a big thing here in Wichita. You're either east side or west side. Or that's why I chose to live in Riverside, because I can choose either side if I want to. Um, but right behind there's a Hyatt. So that's where actually a lot of the visiting teams will stay. 
Uh, they can literally walk right over to the ballpark or scooter. You see those scooters that are all around the cities now that are all the craze. So I see a lot of those guys rolling in there. I had to tell the trainer at one point in time, hey, man, like I don't care if these guys use these scooters, but they can't park them inside the gate because there's no way these guys can get them. So but yeah, so, you know, that's just one of those that's in the build process. Um, there's another one that's kind of iconic as far as the line goes. It's Century 2. It's been there for a while. Um, it looks like a gigantic dome. Um, it kind of is. And when I first saw this, I was like, man, that looks kind of like a flying saucer. So that actually uh, the city just approved for that to get uh, handled from a private entity. So now they're going to start managing that process. But that's kind of the connection. And, you know, Ben, when you get out here, I'll be able to kind of show you what the future development looks like, because when I got here in um, March of what 19 it already looks a lot different uh than it does now we've had future development and, and we're going to develop around the the land as well so um yeah that's that's that building behind me long answer <laughs> well i found it fascinating yeah, right? i'm yeah. very glad i asked that question bob mullet the senior manager of fan experience for the wichita wind surge congrats on uh getting through this uh long delayed but ultimately satisfying first season and uh Good luck in the playoffs against the hated, well, maybe not hated, <laughs> but, you know, Northwest yeah. Arkansas Naturals. Yep. Uh, thanks. Thanks again for having me on, guys. Thank you. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a real old timer, the others were a couple of never wers. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Jacksonville Orange Juicers. B. The Appleton Cidermen. C. The Kalamazoo Celery Pickers. The correct answer is C, as in see what happens when you bet against a celery picker? The Kalamazoo Celery Pickers reached high in the 1923 Michigan-Ontario League and the 1920-21 and 22 Central League and the 1926 Central League, which joined with the Michigan-Ontario League mid-season to form the Michigan State League. But any way you pick to tell the tale, Kalamazoo was no mere ant on a log in the minors of Michigan in the Jazz era and the place where they played was known at the time as Celery City, or the Celery Capital of the World. Meanwhile, Sanford, Florida also considered itself Celery Capital of the World, and fielded the Sanford Celery Feds in early iterations of the Florida State League. But until a blight struck in the 1930s, Kalamazoo celery was well known and came in white and yellow varieties, both of which were reportedly much sweeter than the green California stuff we know today. The celery pickers had some sweet swingers, too. After being laughed off by, no joke, the Grand Rapids Joshers in their best chance at a Central League title in the earlier part of the decade, the Celery Pickers of 23 had Hal Bubzer and outfielder manager Marty Becker, and they both played in the majors at one point or another. At year's end, though, the Celery Pickers couldn't get ahead of four other teams, failing to keep up with the Flint Vehicles, catch the Muskegon Anglers, draw even with the Saginaw Aces, or hunt down the Bay City Wolves. In 26, Kalamazoo welcomed Battle Creek-born 18-year-old left-hander Gawa Classen, who'd make it to the Pacific Coast League that very year and go on to win a couple games for the 1933 Philadelphia Athletics. Under the management of one-time Detroit Tiger Boss Schmidt, those celery pickers tried to stock a good place in the standings all season long, but finished second to last with a 39-59 and 59 record. And those are the roots of the Kalamazoo celery pickers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these toolsy teams got to work in the miners of yore? A. The Altoona Hammerheads. 
B, the Moline Plowboys. C, the Virginia Beach Periscope Peepers. Want to know the answer? Get your hands dirty and find out. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is trying to adopt a cat, but the poor thing's allergic to him. Final segment of this week's episode of the official podcast of Minor League Baseball, the show before the show. Before we get out of here, two points of business. Number one, the Arizona Fall League is set to return here in 2021. Uh, The league will open its 90-game regular season coming up on Wednesday, October 13th. The Fall Stars game will be played on November 13th. And then the AFL championship game uh, just a week later on November 20th. Both of those games will be live on MLB Network uh, as well as on MLB.com and on the MLB app. Uh, 29 seasons now of operation for the Arizona Fall League uh, after we did not get to see the AFL last year. But of course, if you're not familiar with the AFL or if you're new to, to minor league baseball and all those sorts of things, six teams in the Arizona Fall League, each of them essentially with five parent clubs. They will play 30 games uh, across the greater Phoenix area at spring training ballparks, Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Sloan Park in Mesa, Peoria Sports Complex, Salt River Field at Talking Stick, uh, Scottsdale Stadium, and Surprise Stadium. And uh, you can check out rosters as they become available. They are not yet available. We'll talk more about them uh, as those rosters come out. Still waiting on the uh, the final rosters for the AFL, but it's good to see the AFL back. It's uh, one of my favorite things on the baseball calendar and it's good to have the AFL back in 2021 after missing them last year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you mentioned the fall stars game, which is a legitimate all-star game, but every game in the AFL feels like a prospect all-star game. And yeah, way. Um, it's like a mini version of the futures game every day in, in Arizona. Um, hopefully I'm going to be able to go myself this year. I, Tyler, I know you've been and you love the experience. Uh, it, it's crazy to kind of follow those and see, some of these guys that we've been talking about at all corners of the country uh, during the year, now they're on the same field. Um, sometimes they're teammates, sometimes they're opponents. Uh, and it, it's just one more opportunity to get a bite at the prospect apple uh, before the off season. And Lord knows we'll take that uh, in any year, but especially in 2021. Absolutely. And uh, before we get out of here, MILB.TV, of course, taking you up to and through the close of the minor league baseball season and free for the remainder of the minor league baseball season as well. Sam, we've got uh, postseason play and the AAA final stretch continuing. What are you watching on Mill TV? Yeah. So speaking of one last bite at, at the prospect Apple, uh, we're going to feature two series that are going on next week for the AAA final stretch. This will be the last, the last games you can watch on MILB.TV. Like Tyler said, it is free. It is an awesome opportunity for everybody to check that out for sure. Um, so really uh, like one thing I'll say up front, keep an eye out on the triple a final stretch standings, like, and kind of click around maybe coming into that last day, there might be a couple games that could be huge deciders in that. So, so click around, see how that's actually going to shake itself out. But as we sit here now, the series I'm going to keep an eye on, uh, for me is St. Paul at Toledo. And I bring that up for the big two names that you're probably thinking about at home, uh, which are Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. This will be the last time we get to see them in a regular minor league season this year. It's great that both have climbed to the highest level of the minor leagues. Uh, But I want to point out something from Riley Green here real quick. Uh, Spencer Torkelson climbed three levels. He started out at high A West Michigan, is now finishing at Toledo. Green's been at two levels. But how is this for consistency? His slash line at double A was 298. 381, 525. His AAA slash line was 296, 382, 552. All of that within about 30 points of each other. And the the average being 298, 296 matches up really well. He's been basically the same player that he was at AAA as as he was at at AA, uh, which is really fascinating. It's something you honestly want to see. Like at some point you kind of figure out, okay, pitchers are going to start figuring this guy out. They didn't happen or that didn't happen this year uh, in 2021. Big reason why we're high on Riley Green. Going to be keeping a close eye on him next week just to see how he finishes the year out. But um, everything we expected about Riley Green coming into the season basically came true. Uh, So getting one last chance to see him next week as Toledo faces St. Paul is definitely something you want to take advantage of. Tyler, I I think you have the big series of the week, though. 
That is uh, probably the the case. Iowa and Omaha. Omaha will be on the road in Des Moines uh, taking on the Iowa Cubs. That Omaha roster is so loaded. We talked about that Omaha squad a whole lot this season. Um, You know, Bobby Wood Jr. is exciting enough just as uh, his own prospect profile continues to get closer and closer to the major leagues. But we know how power-packed um, that roster has been all season as well. Ryan McBroom with 31 homers. Nick Prado on that squad uh, has been fantastic this year as well. And now we'll see that team on the road taking on that Iowa team that features Brendan Davis. Uh, there's a lot of prospect talent in that group uh, as well. So those two teams will square off for five games in Des Moines. And uh, it's fun. The AAA final search, I was texting with uh, Josh Hushan, the radio voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes, the other day and he was saying this is kind of a fun different thing for us to be able to do in AAA uh, with another 10 games and you know a chance to see some guys who are are fresh and new to the level and and all of that um it's kind of cool to see something different so the the AAA final stretch some very good prospect matchups you can catch them all at milb.tv so uh that will do it for uh sam dykstra and benjamin hill doing all the heavy lifting this week and josh jackson as well with uh, another fantastic edition of ghost of the miners my name is tyler mon and uh thanks for tuning in catch you next week 